Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. Good morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. Hey, Zasbui, to my friends over here. Mungu akabariki. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Jennifer. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so great to be a part of this day of celebration. Weren't baptisms great? I love baptism Sunday. So good. And we've got a couple roses here to my left that are representing Summit and Jacob, who both started a new life with Christ and pounded a ribbon in the cross last week. Let's celebrate that as well. So good to be a part of the body of Christ. Hey, how many of you have ever done an escape room? An escape room, okay. Just in case any of you don't know what that is, that's when you pay someone to lock you in a room with other people where you have to like figure out the puzzles and solve the clues so that you can figure out the key or the code to get yourselves out of the locked room in the amount of time and then you either win or lose. Now. I get that there's like no actual physical danger in an escape room, but you would be very unlikely to find me in one, and here's why. Hypothetically speaking, I may or may not have some claustrophobic tendencies. As in, when I feel trapped, all rational thought goes out the window, and the calm Jennifer Roth that you all know and hopefully love disappears. And when I feel trapped, and that might be in small spaces, or in traffic that isn't going the way I want it, or even crowds. So like, Good Friday shopping, why? Why would you put yourself in a place where you're gonna be shoulder and like rush, and no, thank you. Okay, so, I may or may not have had an experience in a very small tent where I woke up in the middle of the night with my hands flailing and my brain not engaged yet with my husband right here in my face saying, sweetheart, it's okay, we're, we're in a tent, we're camping at Triangle Lake, you're okay, and, and this was the first thing I recognized. I went, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just freaking out. <laughs> and he said, I know. <laughs> my calm, peacemaking husband. Um, and then the other one I'm sort of embarrassed, well actually really embarrassed to admit, but there were witnesses and so it's become family lore. Um, I was in an elevator in Hawaii one time and you guys, the building only had three floors and we were probably only stuck for like a minute and 45 seconds. But in those minute and 45 seconds, the rational Jennifer went out the window and like, it's hot, Is does this have ventilation? Are we gonna suffocate? I, I called 911 from a stuck elevator. And the operator says, hello, what's your emergency? We're stuck in an elevator. Ma'am, is everybody okay? No, we're not okay, we're stuck in an elevator. <laughs> Ma'am, is everyone okay? Because when I feel trapped, the anxiety rises and my fear becomes irrational and I double down on my attempts to control and make sure that if, if there's anything within my power, I'm gonna do it to make sure I'm safe. So yeah, no for me on escape rooms. But this journey of finding a key to a door that's somewhat elusive and kind of hard to find is, is where I want us to go today. Because we've been in this series for the book of Job and James, which will continue, we're in the middle of it here. And today what we're gonna talk about is finding the key to the door of contentment. 
no matter what our circumstances. Because you know that Job is a story of suffering and of pain. And I think that sometimes, for some of us, if not most of us, these places of suffering, of loss, of confusion, of conflict, of pain, these places where we sit in the unknown, right, where we don't know how long are we gonna be here, how is this going to end, is this relationship going to get healed, am I ever going to get healthy again? When we sit in these places of the unknown, I think some Sometimes the anxiety rises and the fear can become a little bit irrational and we know better but we don't know better right and we double down some of you like me maybe not all of you but double down on our attempts to control what we can because so much feels out of our control and yet just as Rob told us last week that the pathway of wisdom is not necessarily the pathway out of our suffering so I would say that the door we're looking for to contentment is not necessarily a door out of our circumstances man how many of us want the door out of our circumstances when we're suffering but I think the door to contentment that God offers us is more a door of our heart out of the anxiety-ridden spaces and into the peace that passes understanding even if our circumstances don't change. Sometimes the puzzles and the clues of life are not as clear as we would like them to be and so we look to scripture today to find how do we learn the path, like last week Rob was telling us the path to wisdom, this week it's the path of the door to contentment. We're going to be looking at several different scriptures in Job and James that together kind of build this theme. The scriptures themselves are sort of centered around Job's wrestling with wealth and poverty and what God's role is in all of that. And wealth and poverty, it might be a good sermon for another day, but that's not, I'm not preaching on wealth and poverty today. Today I want us to take a look at what, he's, what it's telling us to help us unlock this key to contentment. So look with me first here at Job chapter 1 verse 21. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. You guys, this is Job. He lost all of his wealth, he lost all of his children, and he lost his own health. And yet in the midst of that, he says, look, my human condition is nakedness. I came into the world with nothing. I will leave the world with nothing. God gives, God takes away. What is the constant? I will praise the name of the Lord. And this is the first, like if you're in that escape room and there's like four or five puzzles you have to solve, this is the first one. This first one is that we choose to worship God in all circumstances. Your praise will ever be on my lips. No matter what's happening in our life, our first choice is worship. Why? Because he's rescuing us? Why? Because this is what have done, he's done for us? No, because of who he is. And so, like Job, we worship. May the name of the Lord be praised, whatever our circumstances. And the next one is found in Job chapter 21. I'm going to read 22 through 26. But who can teach a lesson to God? Since he judges even the most powerful, one person dies in prosperity, completely comfortable and secure, the picture of good health and vigorous and fit. Another person dies in bitter poverty, never having tasted the good life, but both are buried in the same dust, both eaten by the same maggots. I bet that wasn't what you were expecting to hear when you came to church today. But it's Job, you guys. He didn't pull any punches. 
So what can we find about God and this door to contentment in this picture of we don't know why wealth is distributed the way it is. We don't know why illness hits some and not others. We don't know why tragic accidents happen to some and not others. We can't explain it. And that's the second clue, you guys. We have to accept the mystery of God's ways. We have to accept that God is God and we are not. And friends, in our human state, that's really hard for us to grasp because God created us with intelligence. If you look at the history of mankind, the things that have been discovered, the cures developed, the technology created, it's amazing what humanity can do. And yet, all of our combined wealth and influence and information and understanding and intelligence is nothing but a drop in the ocean of God's all-knowing nature and character. The prophet Isaiah says that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts because he sees the entire universe and all the galaxies and the depths of the intricacies of every human heart. Friends, there are just things we can't know and for some of us that rubs us the wrong way. Because if we can't understand it, then we immediately doubt it. And this demand to understand is the demand that leads us to question God, to resent God, and to sometimes even believe that he doesn't exist because I can't understand him. And I just have to say, we have to humbly acknowledge that he is a mystery and we can never fully understand all the ways of God. We worship him, we accept the mystery, and then let's take a look at how James can help us with another clue here in this puzzle of how do we enter this door of contentment. James chapter one, starting in verse nine. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Friends, this is not the message of the American dream. <laughs> we have been sold a bill of goods. When we have been told that we're in control of our own destiny, that we can be anything we want to be, we can do anything we want to do if just enough effort. Now hear me, it is good to have goals and to work hard and to put effort. But if we think that that then translates into some sort of formula where we are going to get everything our heart desires, we have been sold a bill of goods and we're believing a lie. Because I know some of you in this room know that there are things that happen that are outside of your control and there is nothing that you can do about it. And so we have to release our expectation of certain outcomes. Friends, there is no God-given formula demand that we can say, I've done this, God, so you have to do that. It just doesn't exist. And so we release our expectations of certain outcomes. Sometimes things turn sideways for us because of something someone else does their choice, their sin, the evil in the world, war and violence. Sometimes things turn sideways for us because of something we've done, choices that we've made, places that we've been. Sometimes things turn sideways for us for natural desire. There's all sorts of reasons why it doesn't go the way we want. And along with choosing to worship no matter what our circumstances look like, accepting that God's ways are a mystery, 
We have to release our expectations in order to accept what is real for us, right? We can't receive what God has for us unless we're ready to release what we thought it was going to look like. And then James 5.3 tells us this, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. This line, the very wealth you were counting on. Friends, if there's anything that we are counting on outside of God himself, if we're counting on wealth, or on a particular relationship or a particular person, if we're counting on a job or our health or a particular location, if we're counting on anything that's gonna be the thing that keeps us secure, we're counting on the wrong thing. Because we have to be people who put our trust in God and God alone. We put our trust in God and God alone. And we don't trust God in our suffering and our loss and our pain, in our conflict and our tension, in our relational brokenness. We don't trust him in all of that because he's going to make it better. We trust him in all of that because he's God, right? We're not trusting him because he's gonna make us prosperous or safe or because all of our expectations are gonna be met and we're gonna be happy and content and comfortable. We're not trusting him because he's gonna help us marry the right person or have the right friends or have influence in the places where we wanna have influence or any of the other myriad of things that humanity wants and sometimes demands. We trust him because he is God, because he is love because he promises his presence, because at the core he is good and he is a redeemer. True contentment comes through trusting God as we release our expectations to him. Our true contentment is gonna come from choosing to worship him, accepting his mystery, releasing our expectations, and trusting what he is going to do in our life. Friends, Job's suffering was multifaceted, right? Uh, he lost his wealth, he lost his children, his family, and he lost his own health, and all he was left with was a nagging wife. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? <laughs> right? And as we talk about suffering, I recognize that what is represented in this room is multifaceted. Some of you relate to the injustice of the imbalance of wealth in our world and you're living from month to month or week to week or day to day trying to make ends meet and it doesn't make sense. Some of you relate to the loss of loved ones, of friends, or maybe even you've just been alone for a long time for a variety of reasons. Maybe family, you have family but they're not talking. <laughs> it's a loss. Some of you relate to the loss of your health whether it's through age or injury or illness, you can't do the things that you used to be able to do or the things that you see other people doing and you wonder how long, oh Lord, will I suffer in this pain and imbalance. My mother-in-law, Carolyn, told me years ago, Jennifer, growing old is not for the faint of heart. And I can attest to that, and I don't even think I'm that old yet, but man, things change. And yet in all of this, there's a call and an invitation to walk through the door to contentment, 
even if it's not the door out of our circumstances. Here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about contentment in Philippians chapter four, classic passage on contentment. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Isn't it interesting that having everything might sometimes be as hard as having nothing? Have you ever known someone who had everything they could ever want and still wasn't content? Okay. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We love to quote that one, don't we? We memorize it, we put it on posters. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And then when the suffering comes, we're like, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And then we're like, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, right? It's hard. I wonder sometimes if we actually know what contentment is because I think sometimes we can mistake contentment for resignation, right? Or maybe even fatalism. So there's this phrase that we could use. We, we say, it is what it is, right? But there's so many different ways we could say that. So the resignation, it is what it is. Nothing I can do, right? Or fatalism, it is what it is. I can't change it. Or even anger or cynicism. It is what it is and it makes me really mad, but I'm right. And then there's this, the um, humble, content, sincere. It is what it is. I don't like it, but I'm going to live in it. I'm going to live with it and I'm going to trust God in it because it's my reality. Because the only thing I get to choose is how I'm going to respond to my reality, not what my reality is. Contentment isn't even a, praise the Lord anyway. It's just Jesus is good. Come on, join me now. Praise the Lord. That's not contentment either. That, that can be joyful. That can be a choice you can make. But a deep abiding contentment is a soul level knowledge belief, anchor to the truth of God's goodness even in the storm of our life. The pastor John Mark Comer put it this way, we're no longer trying to get God to bend our life into the shape we want. We're trying to learn how to live with genuine joy inside the contours of the life we actually have. Not the life we thought we'd have, or wanted to have, or wished we had. You must find the goodness of God in your actual life. Friends, we must find the goodness of God in our actual life. That is the key to the door of contentment that releases us from this place of feeling trapped in our circumstances, in this place that is anxiety-ridden, where our fears can be irrational, where our anger multiplies, our resentment and our cynicism grows, and we find ourselves in just a bad space when we read in the Bible that God promised us the peace that passes understanding. We go, why doesn't my life reflect what God said it could look like? And it's because we've been trying to make God form into our image and we have to find the goodness of God in the reality of what is our life. And I have never seen this more clearly than in the life of my mom. 
Uh, my mom, uh, Hope Bulgin, was one of the most energetic, athletic, and youthful women you would ever hope to meet. Matter of fact, she was most often confused as my sister, not my mom. <laughs> my mom grew up on the banks of the Columbia River on a farm in Longview, Washington. I grew up hearing stories about her walking the logging logs that were floating on the river with her cousin, pulling waterlogged sheep out of the ditch, and even swimming across the shipping channel of the Columbia River with her little brother in tow in a rubber raft. My mom was adventurous. And in the spring of 2007, my mom was diagnosed with tongue cancer. And as a result of this diagnosis, she was radiated from ear to ear five days a week for eight weeks. And as a result of the radiation damage to her skin, her gums, and her salivary glands, my mom lived in chronic pain for 10 years. Now, my daughter was born six weeks before my mom's diagnosis. I'm so glad my mom fought cancer. I am so grateful that she lived for 10 years. My daughter wouldn't have even known her. And yet those 10 years were excruciating for my mom, for hope. She always had a water bottle within her reach so she could wet her mouth about every three to four minutes because she had no saliva. Without saliva to break down food, it made it impossible to eat anything dry. With the pain of the unhealed gums, she couldn't have anything spicy or acidic like fruit. She woke up regularly throughout the night to sip water and also then lived with chronic lack of sleep because she was waking up all night long to wet her mouth. And we discovered how impossible, uh, we discovered how much our social and relational stuff happens around a table with food. My mom had this experience. We didn't understand how isolating it could feel just because you couldn't eat the same things that other people could eat because so much of our relationship happens around the table. As a result of her lack of sleep, the lack of good nutrition, and constant pain, mom's energy was at an all-time low. I remember talking with her at about year four, past cancer and past the treatment, where it was obvious that the new normal was the normal for life. And she said, Jennifer, I just know that I'm gonna wake up every morning in pain and I'm gonna feel terrible. But I also know that if I'll give it an hour, a couple Excedrin and a cup of coffee, it will feel less terrible. And if I'm gonna be living in pain, I would rather be doing what I love than laying on the couch thinking about being in pain. <laughs> and so my mom, strapped on one of those camelback backpacks with the straw that comes over your shoulder so she always had water with her. And she went rollerblading and played wall ball with her grandkids. She went mountain biking and hiking with my dad. She played tennis with me. She had a season pass to Mount Hood Meadows so she could snow ski with her friend Denise. And every summer she water skied on one ski around the lake at Triangle Lake. Her last time around the lake was when she was 70 years old, four months before she died. Friends, it wasn't 10 years of constant peace that passes understanding and this attitude of contentment, but my mom was determined to choose to trust God in the midst of her pain and suffering that was not going to go away until she met Jesus. She even dove in and served here at Chris Salem Alliance. She was a leader of one of the young moms groups in Hearts at Home. She was an example to me of making a daily choice to trust God, and in that, she lived a life that she loved, even in the midst of her loss and her pain. 
And this is the invitation to us today, to choose contentment, to believe that we truly can do all things because God gives us the strength for it when we trust in him. And friends, his redemption is coming. His healing is on its way. You might experience that here on this earth, and it might not be until eternity, but you will not live in this pain forever because if you are a follower of Christ, you have eternity in heaven with God and you will be restored to the fullness of your created destiny in the presence of Jesus. Together, as a congregation, we have been learning about the practice of lament, right? Over these last few weeks, this, is the, this week is the fourth step in lament. So we've learned that we need to turn to God when we're in the place of suffering. He wants us to come to him. He's not afraid of our complaints. That's why the second step is to let, bringing our complaints to him. That's the right place. That's where it's not whining. It's letting our feelings have an authentic, honest outlet for what we believe about what's going on right now, even when we don't like it. And we can ask boldly. Friends, there's a parable of the persistent widow. Jesus tells us to ask and ask and ask again. And yet, the fourth step is when all of that is said and done, we choose to trust. We choose to trust God. I read one author who said, if we don't finish with choosing to trust, then the whole practice of lament isn't a practice of lament, it's just complaining. <laughs> Because choosing to trust is the place where we say, God, I will turn to you. This is what I see and this is what I don't like. Here is what I want you to do in my life and you are God and I am not and I will trust you. I think it's so appropriate that this fourth step of lament that we're gonna practice together today fell on the day when we were talking about contentment because I think choosing to trust God is the elusive key to getting out of the room that's riddled with anxiety and fear and into the space where we can live into God's contentment and his peace. It's through this practice of lament that we can do what John Mark Comer said, right? And find the goodness of God in our actual life. So we're gonna take some time again as we have the past few weeks to have some silence here in the worship center. Some of you love that. Some of you squirm the whole time. It's okay, we're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna take some time to let you have the conversation that you've been having with God over these last few weeks or maybe something new has come up that needs to turn the corner to trust to acknowledging to Jesus that you will trust him whatever the timeline, whatever the outcome, whatever the decision other people make, you will trust. Some of you already know that conversation. You know what you need to talk with God about. You're like, Jennifer, stop talking. I've got it. <laughs> Some of you might need a little bit of help with how to use this silent time. And so there'll be a prayer behind me on the screen that you can just quietly read through and pray through yourself if you'd like to. We're gonna take some time of silence.
Father, in moments like these, it's not always easy to open our hands and release with our minds and take a deep breath and trust you, and yet it's good. And we thank you for giving us a path, a door out of where we get stuck and where we feel trapped. We wanna be people who follow you, who worship you, and who are on a journey towards learning what it means to trust, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances. And so today, God, we thank you and we worship you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.